0: The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with the commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Britt Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back to the People Making Things Better podcast. I am one of your hosts, Melinda, and I am of course joined by my co-host Britt. Britt, how's it going this week? Hey,
0: Melinda. It is going okay. I love all these birds in the background that, that we always hear now that you've moved to Los Angeles, by the way.
1: I know. I know. I was on another webinar call this week and the person I was on the call with said the same thing. She's like, I always love to call you because there are always birds chirping in the background. Yeah.
0: It's so like peaceful and zen every time I have a, a meeting with you.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. That's why I love to do work outside just just so I can hear the birds I'm um I'm saying that the birds are cheering me on.
0: Oh, I so love there that. we go. So I am super excited about um, this week's episode. I interview Jenny Dorsey, who founded Studio Atau, and Studio Atau is this really cool nonprofit organization. That does have a for-profit wing as well. And they kind of support each other. Um, but they are in the social impact space in that they do these really unique dinners where they're like these interactive dinners where they even sometimes have a virtual reality that they use. And in these dinners, they tackle difficult topics. Recently, they've been doing topics around the Asian American experience. And over food, people are able to have this learning experience and to have this connection and discussion over food, which I just love. I feel like food is one of the things that really brings people together and kind of creates like a level playing field sometimes now of course you could get into like a food fight or something over the table if things got too hairy right (laughs) in the conversation but um just loved it and I love the way that she's combined like a lot of her different interests and passions so she's a chef by trade and an Asian American woman and has a lot to educate on that and also is embracing this like virtual reality technology and I just love like that she's been able to bring all of those things together in a unique way.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a super unique way of achieving the the goals of their mission. And I just love the amount of creativity that she's put into these like super cool experiences. And I am super excited for our listeners to hear more about what Studio Atau is and how they achieve their mission.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, let's get to it. This is Britt Westfall, and I'm your host. Uh, today in the studio, we are interviewing Jenny Dorsey. Jenny is the founder of a really cool company called Studio Etow. Welcome, Jenny.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. So give us, in a nutshell, real quick, what does Studio Etow do?
2: Yeah, so Studio Tau is a community organization. We're a nonprofit and we have three main arms of business. So, one, we create public programming. This includes our various flagship series that are a mix of exhibitions and dinners, sometimes together, sometimes separate. And each of those focus on different aspects of social impact topics that we care about so for example we're most known for one called asian in america which talks about the asian american identity through six courses of food three courses of cocktails virtual reality and poetry Um, we also have one called hidden which uses food and dance to talk about cognitive dissonance our second arm is a community initiative so we do a couple different things here one We gather industry professionals in our experimental salons for a facilitated discussion on specific social impact topics that um, are pertinent to their community. So for example, we just gathered a lot of food media professionals to talk about the state of food media and how food media can better represent non-white cultures without tokenizing them. And from there we develop. Lots of toolkits and resources for other people in the industry to better understand the topic, learn how to recognize tokenization, disrupt it, prevent it in the future. And then our last arm is our agency arm. So that's how we make the bulk of our revenues. We develop like custom activations, specific salons, and just like just general custom events for uh, mission-aligned businesses and organizations.
0: Awesome. I love that there's this educational piece to it over food and, you know, really unique experience. Obviously, tons of great conversations happen at dinner tables, right? And over food. So I love that you've incorporated that. How did you get this idea to incorporate all of these different aspects? So you've got the food, the Mm -hmm. educational, you know, social impact Mm -hmm. initiative you said something about like virtual reality experience. Tell us just like how this all came together.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I'm a professional chef. And so when I uh, first started doing dinners uh, with my husband, we were just doing them out of our apartment. We always wanted to do something that was a creative outlet for the both of us. I would cook and he would make cocktails, but also build an environment where we could more genuinely connect with our peers. At the time, we were both in business school and many of our, our you know, fellow people that we were meeting were very, very interesting, obviously intelligent individuals, but we never got beyond the surface level stuff with them. You know, We were always talking about work or interviews and schoolwork at school, but how do you really get to know someone? So we were really intrigued by that idea and the whole point of starting our dinner series, which we originally called Wednesdays, <clears throat> was to just, how do you create an environment where people feel open to even talking to strangers and you know letting their guards down. That was something that we pursued for a while, trying to figure that out. And I guess to our benefit, you know, a lot of people were interested, a lot of people started coming to these dinners and they became really sceney I would say that um, like the vast majority of people who started coming at the end were people who like didn't really care about a mission, didn't really care about, you know, what we stood for. It was just for the food or to say that they went to something interesting or cool that weekend. So that was too bad. And I think like at first we were like, oh that's too bad. But you know, we can continue forth. We still try doing various types of ways to get people to connect. I mean, there's some some things we did in there that I really liked. For example, we used to ask people things like, you know, what was your biggest failure and how has that uh, changed you. And we would use their answer as their name in substitution of their name card at the table. So in order to find your seat, you would have to learn about, you know, everybody's failures. And immediately, you know, you're on a very different sort of common ground with other people that you don't know. But ultimately, what I realized is if we weren't focused with our message, then we couldn't have other people focus on our message either. And our message was too vague. Like connecting deeply is pretty vague, especially when it's so often used for PR talk. Every food related company talks about how they want to connect people and all that. And I don't want to say that's all disingenuous because I don't think it is, but it's also, it doesn't really mean anything when it's been used so frequently. So if we wanted to do something different, we really would need to focus in on what we cared about. And so to start with that, we had to, I think, you know, You start with things that are closest to you. So I started with um, something that's very important to me, which is uh, the Asian American experience. And from there, Mm -hmm. learning how to really capture people's attention in a time where many times when you go to dinner, you're not in an educational mindset. You know, you're not really trying to learn or you're not, you know, maybe you don't even want to talk to other people. So how do we set the stage? And that's all really learning how to be a good host because event planning is one thing, you know, logistically you have to make sure everything runs because if you don't meet that threshold, then nothing happens. But there's a deeper layer of being a good host that I think sometimes gets lost because it's a lot of emotional labor. Um, it's thinking about, A, like not only what kind of venue you're setting up. So we when we toured this series across the U.S., we usually partner with museums or community centers. So places that people are naturally going to have that kind of educational mindset already tuned in. But also sending out the right information beforehand, sending out very conversation specific topics on each of the courses, because each course corresponds to a different kind of topic series of questions that we want people to ask. So, for example, one of the courses talks about the model minority myth. So we send out questions in advance that we have thought through. The whole team has read and read and read over again to make sure we feel all good about it. On what sort of, what about the minor, model minority myth do we want them to tackle? It's not enough to say, oh, we talk about the minor, model minority myth and how it's in fact impacted you. You know, that is also still too vague. The more specific that we can drill down, the better. Um, another part of that is the virtual reality component. So, what they're seeing in VR is a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that they're about to eat. And they're listening to audio narration from myself explaining. What the premise behind each dish is, what the symbolism of each of the ingredients, the cooking technique, the plating, and so all of that is to really have them understand, you know, my perspective on this topic serve as a jumping-off point for their conversations, and also because they are in VR, they are not distracted by anything else. A lot of the most difficult parts of, you know getting people to connect is that there's so many, not only there, there's so many things going on literally around you, there's food and there's music and there's, you know, cocktails, and there's other people laughing, but also there's a lot of different kind of energies at the table. There's a lot of extroverts and a lot of introverts. And many times the extroverts tend to dominate the conversation and introverts are, you know, they just get tired over the course of dinner. So, you know, building in these, uh, like, little restorative niches, as Susan Kane calls them, has been really instrumental in making sure that the conversation feels really balanced throughout the evening, and so decided to implement for these.
0: Very cool. I love that it's so inclusive of different personalities at the table, and that there's an opportunity for everyone to to really feel a part of it. Definitely. I, I've seen that in action too, where, you know, you've got like a few talkers in the room and a few people who really mm-hmm. like to dominate and others who might go the entire time without saying anything. So I love that you've kind of taken into each guest experience there. So you said that you honed in on, you know, the Asian American experience as the specific topic what do you get into like within that? So you talked a little bit about the virtual reality showing, you know, what each uh, different step is in making the food and the ingredients and the meanings behind all of it. How do you then move on to some more like difficult conversation? I know, for example, right now, there's a lot of violence happening towards Asian Americans being blamed for the coronavirus. How do you move into like those, you know, more, I guess, political topics or tough topics?
2: Yeah, for sure. So the topics that we cover are one is like substitutions, the feeling of substitutability or the interchangeable Asian is a term that's been used a lot. We also talk about being pigeonholed into only covering Asian American topics, only doing things that are, you know, directly related to your ethnicity. There's one about stereotypes, both stereotypes that are held against Asian Americans, as well as stereotypes held by Asian Americans of each other, because there is also a lot of issues and colorism within the Asian American community. You know, we can talk about how there's a big divide between East Asians, Southeast Asians, South Asians, and all of that like really does come to a head, especially when the media tends to group all Asian Americans together. We can talk about how like many times when the media represents says Asian American, they mean East Asian, they're kind of discounting and not representing the rest of the the Asian diaspora. So that's a whole other issue. Um, The model minority myth is a a big one. We also talked about the white male savior complex, as well as this inherent value? Like, is there inherently more value in something being French versus something being Chinese? And why is that? Where do we get our sense of value? So all of those things, at the end of the day, like, we can't force anyone to have political conversations. But I think all the topics are set up pretty well to have political undertones. And when we send out um, pre-event emails, we will adjust them slightly depending on what the current climate is. We have mm-hmm. not had any dinners during coronavirus, obviously, so we haven't pushed our guests to have that particular conversation. Right. But for example, you know, people were talking about Andrew Yang and the presidency his presidential run at the last dinner when we had that um, in January. So, um, and the lot la- and the one before that. So, I think naturally the conversation will pivot to current events because that's just what people. Once people are in the right mindset, they will they will naturally be able to make that connection between any honestly any of those topics um, and whatever has happened outside you can look at the current violence against asians during coronavirus as a huge representation of why the model minority myth is so complex and so complicated and so poisonous and i think if we were to have a dinner right now that's probably a correlation that many people would immediately draw and start talking about
0: as these conversations are navigated have you ever had any dinners where things start to get a little tense and you know there's discord and disagreement and is that welcomed, you know, kind of the different opinions whether they have any truth to them or not as people work their way through these conversations.
2: So, I found that generally speaking when people are uncomfortable or they feel, you know, they they don't, you know, they don't know how to react, they usually react in one of two ways. They either Um, disengaged, or and then they try to shift the topic to something more polite, right? This is usually like our social nicety cue, or they get defensive and they get angry. And so, generally speaking, in a dinner setting where you literally have to sit with these people, uh, we have people seated in usually groups of four to six, so it's not that many people at a table either. You have to sit with these people for you know that it's going to be, you know, anywhere from two hours, two and a half hours. Like you can tell there's more courses coming. So, if people do feel uncomfortable, they will default to the first where they kind of just politely ha hum and then don't engage. And I mean, I don't want to see that, but I guess I don't want to see a riot happening either. being said, I haven't seen a ton of that happen. Most of the time, people are leaning in and discussing. But that's not to say there's definitely been some groups that I've noticed, they just, they just, either they don't see it, or they don't get it, or they don't want more commonly, they don't want to get it, you know, that definitely happens. um, Just not that frequently. However, when we do public demos, um, where, for example, We had a booth at like a big kind of art fair sort of scenario where people are not coming in knowing what the experience will be or not aware what the experience will be. That's where you see more of the second reaction, which is angst or anger, frustration, defensiveness, because they feel like... You know they were walking along their day and they were they were reminded of how much privilege they have and they hate recognizing that. so you you'll get you know angry reactions, snide comments. Um, so you you have to just get used to it because if anything, those bad reactions also mean that you're onto something.
0: Right. Yeah. You're stirring up a reaction. There's, there's new thoughts happening in there. (laughs) You're just, you're being a disruptor, basically. But yeah, a few years ago when. (laughs) when the election happened and, you know, people were just like completely at odds with each other. Something that I was thinking about, like what are the common threads, like just like among humanity that mm-hmm. people can come together over and kind of like have their defenses down a little bit and just kind of be humans together. And this idea of food just kept coming to me, right? Um, now, obviously there are still a lot of arguments and and things that um, happen at the dinner table But for some reason, that idea of just like food and coming together over food kept coming up to me. And so when I found out about your company, I just thought it was such a cool idea. And, you know, that there are so many possibilities or directions even that you could expand out into and just kind of bridging divides. Like we're both sitting here at the table, We both have the human need of filling our stomachs and let's be humans and have a conversation. Well, awesome, Jenny. Um, So I'd love to talk to you about how you got this up and going. So a lot of people who listen to our podcast are getting inspiration, getting kind of some inside knowledge of how to start their own endeavor. And so mm-hmm. we like to ask the tough questions of what the struggles were, you know, like what were those first few steps that you took? I know you talked a little bit about the origin story, but like, how did you even like get the funding to get this started or what were those struggles right from the start
2: yeah for sure for a nonprofit, it's it's always about funding and then autonomy um so when i first started these dinner series uh we were working i mean it was kind of like in this weird we weren't doing enough of them so they weren't a real business and then eventually i have a a for-profit um culinary consulting business so we were trying to kind of grouping it under there but over the course of many many events over the years uh it was just very obvious that we weren't making any money from the events and we could make money from the events the what, the few events that we did make money on we charged a lot more and we got a very different clientele um a pretty like a clientele that let's say i just don't really want to pander to because my background in restaurants has been in fine dining so i'm very aware of that clientele and have interacted with them many times and it's just not exactly what i wanted to do it's also just it's not really in line with um, having a social mission because especially those type of clientele are out to have a good time and be waited upon um, be taken care of, not to have uncomfortable topics being discussed. So it was like this misalignment of what we wanted to do versus making money. Um, so we made the decision to make it a nonprofit. It just made a lot of sense. Also that way, I wouldn't have to worry about like, oh, should I pay my dishwasher $5 less? Should I pay the servers $5 less an hour? You know, So to, to make the margins fit. And that's a, um, an industry-wide issue that restaurants are seeing and having to deal with. It's very, very poorly paid labor because the hospitality industry is built on a slave labor model. Um, so I didn't want to go that, down that route. I wanted to pay above market rates and there's no way I was going to have investors back me. If I say like, actually I've decided to pay, My servers $10 more per hour than um, what the usual market rate is. Like, they're gonna be like, no, cut down your costs, you know? So I didn't want that. So the nonprofit model really just made sense for me. There's obviously a lot of drawbacks to nonprofits, um, which we can talk about in a little bit. But that being said, we decided to relaunch as a nonprofit and kind of faction off all our events business into this nonprofit and from the beginning we were really privileged that my husband's family like gave us a contribution so that we could at least get set up and get our administrative costs of literally you know g- getting registered you have to pay a few thousand dollars just to get your incorporation filed in whatever state you're in making sure that we had enough capital to do the next few dinners so that I could you know Start the website. And from there, we've just been slowly trying to build traction, build press, and then find out ways that we can make money. For the most part, um, we try not to be too reliant on donors because the problem that many nonprofits run into that I have seen from friends who work at nonprofits or at nonprofits that I volunteer for is once you have a big enough donor who commands much of your revenue, you are. F- Like, you have to succumb to the whims of that donor. If there's things they don't like about what you're doing, they think something you're doing is too controversial, then, you know, what they say goes. And there's not much you can do about it because it's like having a really big investor. Um, So we didn't want to, I mean, we don't have any donors that big, but I didn't want to potentially end up in that scenario so we've been mostly trying to um, push our donors to like a, a patreon model where you know it's like a more community since so we're a community organization like smaller donations over longer periods of time that people care about five to you know Uh, $50 or so per month sort of thing. And then that's why we established an agency arm specifically so we can go and sell into companies, whether that's selling them experience, an event, uh, a salon, or something totally custom since we do have proficiencies in things like augmented reality or virtual reality and facilitated conversations, Um, just being able to have them pay us for that, then we can use those same money to keep the nonprofit running.
0: Got it. Yeah, I've seen that model a couple of other places, and I think it's such an interesting model where mm-hmm. you have a for-profit wing of the company that is then in turn supporting the nonprofit. And, and so that's cool that you've been able to make that work. So you've been a nonprofit for how long now? A couple of years? Yeah, so we
2: officially incorporated the nonprofit in 2017. Got it. Okay.
0: And so as far as growth, I mean, obviously, you've been thrown a monkey wrench right now with the COVID-19 situation. But have you grown as fast as you thought you would grow or less fast? Or just tell us a little bit about your growth journey so far.
2: Yeah, it's definitely been interesting because the, the toughest part for us is like, what is growth for our business? is it to have more events is it to have more different types of events is it to have more arms of business is it to have more revenue generating business so that's been the hardest part is like we've grown a lot in terms of being able to take our one series Asian and America to many many different places we launched that in late 2018 and all of last year has we've been touring across the US we went to New York we went to SF we went to LA we went to Honolulu etc so like you can say that is growth and that's great I really Enjoyed all of those experiences, but we still didn't really make money off of them. So, this year we've been kind of focusing on well, before COVID um, is like, how do we grow our revenue generating side? How do we grow our agency side? How do we grow um, our business development arm so that when we can sell into companies who have, you know, the DEI initiatives who might be interested in, in doing a version of Asian America. Or hiring us to do a specific salon so that's another area of growth that we're totally like working on have not grown last year we also launched the salon so that's a new arm of the business that you could call is growth but those are also like not sustainable yet we're still trying to find sponsors for those so it's yeah i guess in in summation the What to measure as growth has been challenging. It's always been kind of challenging, and we're still figuring out if there's certain parts of the business that we just need to focus on growing faster than others.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing is a lot of, you know, being willing to shift and kind of pivot as needed to, you know, continue to grow is is what I'm taking from this. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of pivoting, so I feel like the elephant in the room a little bit too is just like the COVID-19. Like, So how have you been able to pivot during this time and what's kind of the plan for when things open back up?
2: Yeah, so um, we obviously had all our in-person events canceled and it was really heartbreaking because yeah. we were lining up um, places to go and companies to visit and sponsors and all of that. but. Um, since at the end of the day, we are a nonprofit um, and our whole mission is to help our communities, we were you know thinking about like, what can we do to give back? Um, and uh, something that we kind of landed on as a team was, well, there's a lot of experts in the community that we have access to. And there's a lot of difficult or complicated topics that I'm sure people would like more clarity on, but it's not easily accessible if you just do a Google search. I mean, this is not a topic we're addressing, but if you... Google search any, something as like, how to get mental health, or what is therapy, or how to, you know, lose weight healthily, like you get so much information, it's so overwhelming. Um, and you don't know how to parse through what is good and what is bad. So we've been thinking about like, what are some topics we care about that we want to bring in experts to discuss with the community to share the information, and to back up these experts will a help them raise money for the charity of their choice and be put in the hours to put together very detailed resources documents so that people can actually learn about the topic in depth. So we kicked off with two sessions about um, financial planning. One for individuals, as one as well as one for small business owners, and that's like breaking down the PPP, EIDL, making sure that people understand what their options are if they want to withdraw from the four hundred one k. Understanding how to use credit card debt, what actually impacts your credit card score. I mean, these are things that many of us all didn't know either. So we were learning besides people, so that you know we can we have the questions that most normal people have on these topics Um, so then we can put it in layman's terms for them we also did one on mask making and then right now we're in the middle of four episodes on mental health so we did one that was about navigating personal relationships and close quarters we did one about understanding what your emotional reactions to COVID 19 were we also did one um, or are doing one this week this upcoming week that's like a therapy 101 like what is therapy what kind of styles of therapy are available there was a lot of questions that i think Prevent people from going to seeking help because they're unsure where to ask them, or when they do ask them, it comes from this like therapy blog and it feels very canned or forced, or like it's selling something. We're not selling anything, we don't have anything to sell, so we can try our best to be as objective and as useful um, to people as possible. And then our next season is going to be about uh, civics and how to like politically activate, learn how do your local politics work, learn what civic engagement looks like. How does laws like even work in this country? How do they get passed? Those are things that I mean, I'm completely unfamiliar with. And more now than ever, we really need to understand. So yeah, just trying to, you know, pinpoint these are areas of general weaknesses that people don't know about or find very confusing and how that how we can apply our like analytical lens to
0: super relevant. I love the the way that you were able to rise up to the needs of the current crisis and are already planning for what the topics and the needs are going to be in the very near future and staying very relevant with that. We are just about out of time, but I wanted to see if you had any parting words or advice for anyone who has some spark or inspiration around starting their own nonprofit or mission driven business? And what would you tell them?
2: Yeah, for people who want to start nonprofits, I definitely recommend taking a look at how realistically you are going to make money um, and how much money you are going to spend going out and then how much money you realistically can receive coming in. Because that's something I didn't really do, and for the first couple of years, was really just stemming the outflow of nonprofits from my own bank account, which I don't really recommend. And it's been challenging because I want to make sure I pay my staff, right? I I want to make sure that we have the hours to do whatever it is resources documents that we're making right now take a lot of time even creating social media posts take a lot of time because we can't just post random stuff you know we're we have we have a brand that we stand for we are a community org like we have to be in the know of what the community cares about and what we should be commenting on so all of that takes so much time and um takes man hours and i had no idea how much money was going to go out of the business the first two years so that's the big one for general mission-driven concepts I mean I encourage everyone to think about different models that might work for them I think it's not enough to say that you have a mission or you care or whatnot like whether it's deciding to be a B Corp or maybe a public benefit corporation which is two very different things like think about how you're going to continually hold yourself accountable because a lot of You know, I think a lot of business challenges will present themselves uh, hard decisions, like whether to cut costs in a certain way, get rid of people in a certain way, pivot your business model a slight way. And if you don't have, whether it's something institutionally, financially, whatever it is to guide you, and keep you really on the right path of your initial mission, it's um, easy to get distracted. Well
0: said, and amen to... (laughs) (laughs) really doing your homework before starting it, like not getting stuck, of course, in like, over analysis paralysis, but really having a solid plan and really thinking about, yeah, not only that money piece, but also the time piece. Like you said, it can take a lot of time and energy just to do social media, right? Which Mm -hmm. is something that feels like we could do like in our sleep at this point, for those of us who kind of grew up on Facebook and that, but it's totally different animal when it comes to a branded business. So Mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, So I am going to be following your company and totally will be on the lookout, um, especially for when the in-person events open back up. I'm super excited to hopefully be able to attend one of those one day. But where can people find out more about what you're up to and sign up for events in the future?
2: Yeah, people can find Studio Atao on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're not super active on Twitter, but mostly Instagram and Facebook at at Studio Atao and that's Studio A T A O. And you can also find us at StudioAtao.org. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as well uh, at Chef Jenny Dorsey. That's D as in dog O R S E Y and Jenny Dorsey.co.
0: I'm going to be giving you a follow and we'll put all of that in the show notes for everyone to see as well. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I love the way that you've combined your interests and your passions and created this beautiful mission out of it. And I can't wait to follow uh, Studio Tau and to see what awesome you create, you continue to create in the world.
2: Well, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun to be on the show.
0: Hey, can you do us a favor? If you like what you've heard, can you leave us a review and hit subscribe? It'll help us to get the word out more about people making things better. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.